Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Gordon. Have you ever stopped to think what it takes to motivate people? Or better yet, have you ever actually stopped to think, can you motivate people? Is it possible? Is that something that you can actually do and, and actually have any power over? Well, that's the topic today on today's Leader Chat. And we're joined by the author of the book, Why Motivating People Doesn't Work, and what does the new science of leading, energizing, and engaging? Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast, Susan Fowler. Thank you, Chad, and thank you for announcing the longest title in the history of my publisher. You know, it's not only a long title; it's a provocative title because you know when I first picked this book up, it was it it, it you could put you on the defensive. It's like, well, what do you mean? Why motivating people doesn't work? That that in itself, I think, is will will bend some minds here. So why why is that the case? Do you know what, Chad? I think it's either provocative or people resonate with it because they know that they have tried to motivate people. Parents have tried to motivate kids. Uh, managers have tried to motivate employees. We've tried to motivate our spouses. And we all know it doesn't work, but we keep trying. And I think one of the big mistakes that we make in organizations is that we have all of these competencies that require managers to motivate people. So because they have a competency to do that, and then because managers have these uh, goals that they have to try to get people to meet, what happens is they, they start trying techniques and tactics uh, to try to, I mean, literally bribe people to get them to do what they um, need to do. And I guess the question I want to ask every manager and every individual is, why do we think that's necessary? Where do we get to the point where we thought that people have to be motivated, especially by carrots and sticks? Carrots being the incentives, the rewards, the prizes, the praisings, the outward um, you know, pushing, driving of people, and sticks being the pressure, the threats, the tension, the guilt, the shame, the fear. You know, where do we get that? And that's what I want people so to when, question. Yeah. And so it's it's obviously it's something you put a lot of heart and soul into and you've done a lot of research. So let's just kind of dig into that research. And and you you touched on a lot in that, that opening statement. But I'm going to push back one more time because this when I read this book, when I look at it, um, I, I want to ask the question I want to ask. And I think other people might be, be asking as well. So 
we many of us have been on sports teams. Many of us have had coaches. So are are they not motivating us? Is that not what their job is in a way to be as as a coach? Well, I think what their their job is, whether you're a coach, a leader, a, a parent, is to create an environment where people can be optimally motivated. You know, Chad, there's a fascinating piece of research I write about in my book, and I, I came to it from a, a Harvard Business Review, a really small little article that said, if you want to motivate someone, shut up already. And, and what they did at, at Kansas State University um, and, a, and Dr. Brandon Irwin was they watched uh, coaches, um, trainers, uh, who were trying to help people with their physical goals. And they were wanting to know what kind of coaching techniques really helped people get the best results. And they were really surprised by what they found. It wasn't what they were looking for. And what they found was that the coaches that were the most quiet coaches had the best results. It wasn't the coaches who were going, one more, one, come on, you can do it, do it for me, uh, and yelling and screaming at their, at their people. And so they were curious about why that was. And so I called Dr. Irwin. I said, I have a hunch. I know why that is. And I told him about the research that I had been um, doing for the, for the book. And I've been actually doing this research for over 20 years. And he agreed. And so he actually changed some of his research to start to follow in this direction. And one of the reasons that those kinds of coaches were less effective was because the way they were coaching undermined people's psychological needs that we absolutely have to have if we're going to be optimally motivated. So it's it's really interesting that leaders, coaches, people who think that what they're really doing is inspiring and motivating people are actually having an eroding effect on people's motivation. Um, so even with the best of intentions, if we don't understand the true nature of motivation, we can do more harm than good. I, I, one of the things in the book that that was is I think to be very uh, amusing, but it, it it really hits the nail on the head. I think what you're just talking about is about stop beating your people with carrots, and and uh, I thought that's a great visual. So one of the goals of this podcast is for people to you know is I said it before, it's kind of weaponize some of these ideas so that people can take this back to them and to their workplace, to their home place, and wherever they are, whatever brought them to wanting to be a better leader in whatever way, shape, or form. So let's talk about this concept for that person. So what would be one of the first steps that that someone would 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 be would, should take to be able to really utilize this new research and this new understanding about what actually does motivate people? First of all, I think people uh, really need to look at their own beliefs. Um, and I'm going to give you some really um, specific things for, for people to do. I want people to actually do three specific things by the time we're done with this podcast. Okay. Okay. But before I think you'll even do those three specific things, you have to really check your own belief system. Because if you happen to think that people are basically lazy and won't do what you want them to do, then you need to check that out because research would prove that it's just the opposite, that people want to thrive and the way they thrive is by making a contribution, by working hard. Uh, people don't want to be bored. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think the worst thing is when you're bored. And so nobody wants to be bored and disengaged. And so if you understand that your job as a leader is to help 
tap into. What people will find um, most energizing in a positive way, and I'm going to give you some clues on how to do that, then you can, you can use these ideas. Um, yeah, okay. another belief is that you think that um, extrinsic rewards are are what motivate people. And so I really need for you, if, if you still believe that, that you need to look into the research and you really need to ask yourself, when are you the most productive? And what is it that's going to keep you going and doing something? And But the problem is, is that we've boiled motivation down to such a simplistic, oh, you're either extrinsically or intrinsically motivated, that people don't know what to do if you're not intrinsically motivated. So they default to extrinsic motivation. So for example, Chad, I know that, you know, in your history and, and what you do, um, you're a phenomenal sales guy. I also happen to believe that you love interacting with clients and with people and solving problems and making a difference. I also believe that you probably don't like doing expense reports, that you don't like entering information into the software platform, um, you know, filling out paperwork. Am I right? Yeah, it, 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 you, you talk about like energy uh, enhancers or energy vampires. Yeah, absolutely. Those are things that kind of that, that get in the way. It's not that I, I loathe them. It's just it's. From my perspective, it it some of those things, some of those more task based focused things, where I'm I'm away from the connection is is it it uh, it drains me. Yeah, it it drains me, yeah. and I'd like to avoid things that drain me. Exactly, and so what managers, like a sales uh, manager, might do is say, "Well, I've got to somehow either bribe Chad because he's never going to be intrinsically motivated to do his expense reports, or I need to." apply the stick. I need to apply pressure and make him feel guilty. So I, so I want to share with you, um, and, and this is how I'm going to give people, I think, three real techniques that they can use starting immediately to help, help with someone. So I was having a motivation conversation with a gal recently um, who happened to be in sales and happened to hate doing expense reports. Her name was Lisa, or still is Lisa. And so what I did was I took Lisa through a series of questions and the questions are designed to help her get in touch with other reasons for doing her expense report other than intrinsic or extrinsic reasons. So the first question I asked her was, tell me about the choices that you've made around expense reports. And what she described was how she kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off until they had to be done. And then she would have to spend a whole weekend doing them and it would make her angry and frustrated and resentful. So we, we talked about that. And then she, I said, what other choices have you made that you actually liked? And she talked about how one time she actually took a picture of her expense reports, uh, excuse me, her um, receipt from a meal because that was part of doing her expense report. And when she did it, it felt so good, but then she stopped doing it. Okay, so the idea here is that the first conversation you need to have is around the choices that people are making and the choices that people have, the choices that they've made that they like, the choices they made that they wish they hadn't. The reason you're asking all these questions about choices is because our first psychological need is our need for autonomy. And when people okay. don't like to do something, they feel imposed, for example, to, to do expense reports, they have lost touch with their choices. 
So what I'm trying to do is ask questions about choice. So your first psychological need is for choice, to have a sense of control over what you do, and that is autonomy. So those are the first set of questions. The um, second set of questions that you need to ask that I then shifted into asking uh, Lisa was about what we call connection. Uh, it's what the research calls relatedness. And so I started asking her about her values, her purpose. Uh, she talked to me about being a leader because she loved developing people, because she loved that idea. It was actually a sense of purpose that she had for developing people, seeing them grow, and that one of her greatest joys was actually seeing her people getting promoted. And that she really wanted to be the best leader possible because it gave her a great sense of satisfaction. She was doing something good. So she described her values around teaching and around leading. And it was it was really poignant. And, and she really got emotional talking about it. Mm -hmm. So all I did was asking her about the things that, that she felt deeply committed to, connected to. And then I said, do you see any connection? This is all I asked, Chad. Do you see any connection between what you described to me as your values and your sense of purpose as a sales leader and doing expense reports? There was this long pause. And she said, oh, my word. She said, I am constantly beating up on my people to do their expense reports. But how inauthentic am I being and how disingenuous am I being to force them to do things that I'm not doing? And how can I be a good leader if I'm not being authentic? There, there's no, I'm losing that connection, she said. And then she said, and if I don't do my expense reports, I get this huge financial burden. And that financial burden means that I could not be able to use my card. And if I didn't use my card, I wouldn't be able to be out in the field with my people because I wouldn't be able to. You know, she, went, she just did this whole long connection. I mean, she went on for five or ten minutes about all of the lost connections she was experiencing or might experience by not doing her expense reports. And then she morphed into all the administrative tasks that she tends to put off, like doing coaching reports, like after she's been with someone to, to enter that into the system, like what could you do better or what did you do well that you want to keep doing? She doesn't do that. And then she started thinking, wow, I bet my people don't even think I care about them because I don't do those. By the end, I mean, that was powerful right there, right? And then I asked her the questions. I, I, the third set of questions I asked her was around her, her competence. Like, what skills do you have that you could bring to this? And it turned out she had plenty of competence. It wasn't a competence issue. She knew she could do it. She did it. You know, she'd done it in the past. It was really around the choices she was making and around that sense of connection. By the time we got through with that conversation, she was totally dedicated to making sure she always did her, what was necessary and her expense reports as she went through her um, daily routine. Now, I want you to fast forward um, to, well, fast forward to last week. <laughs> That's kind of weird. Uh, but anyway, I was, I was with um, one of her managers at a conference. And he actually used the example of Lisa having had this conversation with me a month prior 
and that when he went to lunch with her, at the end of the lunch, she said, well, excuse me just a moment. I need to take a break. I need to take a picture of my receipt because I'm so dedicated to making sure that I'm constantly updating my expense reports. I'm optimally motivated to do it. So I know at least a month after that conversation, she was absolutely living out the behaviors. And from what I've known since then, she's continued on because she um, allowed me to use her name. That's her real name. And this example. Yeah. So that's what I'm asking managers to do, Chad, is to understand that if people are in touch with their three psychological needs for choice, connection, and competence, or what I call in the book, the same as what the research is, autonomy, relatedness, and competence. If you'll just ask those simple questions, people will find their own source of motivation. And that's so much more powerful. I'll be back with the rest of the interview in just a moment, but I want to share a unique offer with you. In December, the revised edition of Leading at a Higher Level by Ken Blanchard and the founding associates and consulting partners of the Ken Blanchard Companies will be released. How would you like to receive a free copy of the new book? All you have to do is subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it and write a review. Then just send an email to podcast at kenblanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line. And in the body of the email, write your information and the date of the review. At the end of December, we'll select five lucky winners who'll receive a signed copy of Leading at a Higher Level. You know, one of the things in the book that, that really struck me, and it was, it was a big aha moment for me, um, is that, you know, your take, your research uh, and, and your findings show that motivation is a skill. It's a skill you can develop. So t- tell me, you know, was, was that an aha for you as well? Because I think some people think, well, I, I got motivated to do that or or this I'm very motivated to do. But, you know, what you're sharing and what you shared with the, the Lisa story was how you got somebody to that point. But how is motivation a skill? How can we we work that out just like we work out in the gym and improve motivation overall? You know, Chad, thank you for asking that question. Uh, yes, this is a revolutionary or evolutionary idea that motivation is a skill. And I'm very tied to the academic community who's been doing for over 40, almost 50 years now, this research on motivation. And they um, are, are saying that our, for example, the um, optimal motivation course that we teach at the Ken Blanchard companies is the only course in the world that has been able to take this really profound research and teach it as a skill. And what I'm so excited about is that we have literally tested this around the world. Uh, and you're aware of that. I mean, that we've literally been in almost every country or had people from every country, over over 100 countries who have been through this and and discovered that motivation is a skill. So with Lisa, what I was doing was demonstrating the skill with her as a way that she can now adapt and use it for herself. So the skill is being able first to identify what is your motivational outlook? Are you suboptimally motivated by a carrot, by a stick, by disinterest, by being overwhelmed? Or are you optimally motivated through your values, through a sense of purpose, through the joy that you experience, through through um, something uh, that you feel like you're contributing to the greater good? So the first part of the skill is being able to identify what is your current motivational outlook. And then once you understand that, then you can ask those 
questions that I was just sharing with you, you can ask those questions to either shift your motivational outlook from suboptimal to optimal or remember or understand why you're optimally motivated so you can maintain that outlook. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about like making that shift and and uh, what are the steps someone would, would take to, to be able to do that? So l- l- I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. So if it's okay. So there's something that I have been toying with a lot recently um, around meditation. And around building that into my day to day, and so I hope that's not so far off that our listeners are gonna gonna zone out here. But so let's have a conversation. I know the value of meditation. I know what it does for me. I know it brings clarity and all those things. But making it a part of my, a priority in my day. So wh- how would you have the conversation with me if you'd wanted to help bring out that that uh, that that shift? Well, first of all, good for you. <laughs> Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, meditation is a means to the end of being mindful. So what you're really wanting, especially if you're a manager, you want to be mindful as you go into these motivation conversations with people. If you're an individual, you want to be mindful about what your motivational outlook is, because if you're not, you get judgmental. And if you're judgmental, then you um, are not able to see all of the possibilities. So when I ask Lisa, what are the choices that you've made and, and how did you feel good or what made you feel good about those choices? Or how did you feel about that choice? Tell me why. Now, you know, Simon Sinek has made the, the power of why famous, but I have to tell you, we've been using, and, and I love Simon and the whole idea of why, because we know from our research around motivation that what we're trying to get to ultimately is the ultimate why. Why are you doing what you do? And if you have never explored that, if you've never thought about it, then it's really a challenge to shift the reason for your motivation. So by asking yourself, or if you're a leader, creating an environment, a mindful environment where you can ask someone why, then they are able to get to the root source. It's like an engineer. If there is a breakdown, mechanistically, electronically, what does an engineer do? They look for the root source. They go, they find what's going wrong and they go, why is that happening? And then they go, hmm, I wonder well, why that's happening. Okay, I get to that. I go, well, why is that happening? And what they do is they typically have to ask five whys to get to the root source of what's happening. And so by asking this series of questions about autonomy or choices, relatedness or connection and competence, what we're doing is we're giving people a chance to be mindful. We're allowing them to explore their why. And so meditation um, is a a wonderful tool to learn what it means to be mindful. And, And then you can transfer that mindfulness into your work life. And if you're a manager, I mean, just imagine, Chad, you're a manager. You're going in for a performance review. Let's say you're my manager and you are so frustrated with me. You don't like the way I'm operating. You're frustrated that I haven't made my goals. You might not even like me, but you're my manager and you have to quote unquote motivate me to achieve the goals that were that are on my performance plan. If you go into that meeting full of judgment. If you go into that meeting with um, ideas about how you're going to motivate me, you're not going to be successful. So it's really important 
imperative that uh, leaders learn how to be mindful. And I think that by asking these questions, it actually helps the leader be mindful because you don't know what the answers are and you're not trying to guide the answers. You're simply asking the questions. Right. And letting the other person come up with their own answers. Well, we're talking to Susan Fowler, uh, author of Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does. So uh, we've covered a a good range of of the research, a lot of the research that you covered in the book. uh, But one of the things that uh, we can also focus on and not to turn it to more pessimistic view, but there are a lot of things in the workplace, in the home place, uh, wherever you are, wherever you're coming at, at this podcast from that actually um, erodes motivation. And so what did your research find? What are the things to avoid if you want to erode and, and not create an optimally motivating environment? Do you know, um, Chad, the world is so full of bright, shiny objects that can distract you from being optimally motivated. And, you know, and, and, and in my book, we call, you know, it's a difference between junk food and health food. So what happens is in the, in the workplace, for example, it's just so easy to throw out incentives. I mean, I just received an email from a university that was hoping we might recommend people for a particular program. Oh, and we'll pay you, you know, a hundred dollars if you give us a lead. And I'm going, I'm not going to give you a lead for $100. And so what happens, what the research says is that because I look at that $100 and think, you know, that's not worth it. I don't really care about that $100. I don't even think about the lead. But if you said to me, you care about this program, you care about this university, you want to make a difference in the world, and you probably want to make the difference in the life of someone you know, why not put us together? And then if it works and I do that, you send me $100 and say, Susan, we so appreciate you. Thank you so much for what you just did. And then it's a show of gratitude or appreciation. So what I'm asking leaders to do um, is to start to question. Every time you want to use some form of either verbal or physical, tangible rewards for people, um, ask yourself, why do you think you need to do that? Why is there a better way to reach these people based on values, purpose, contribution to a greater good? Is there a higher quality reason to reach people instead of just defaulting to um, either some kind of reward or a stick, pressure, tension, guilt, shame, whatever? Then I would encourage you as an individual that every time you're thrown one of these bright, shiny objects, ask yourself, wonder why they're throwing that at me. And then ask yourself, why would I do this without the bright, shiny reward or the promise of power or the promise of status? Why would I do it for my own reasons and get in touch with a higher quality reason for doing it? So I'm trying to teach the world. (laughs) It's a hard job because it's so easy for us to default into these other forms of motivation because they might get short-term results. But even the research shows, but even our short-term results are compromised. People are suffering from mental and physical health issues because they're doing things and having to use emotional labor to do it, which means that they're feeling stressed and they don't have the emotional labor left to then exercise or go home and deal with issues. And so if we can actually wean people off of these external motivators, and if we can wean ourselves off of them, we're going to see both short and long-term benefits. But I have to tell you, it's, it's like, um, it's pulling teeth. 
because we are an externally motivated society and the workplace has been built on it and we haven't really understood the costs. So it's, it's a, it's a message I'm out there yelling and screaming about, but I think I need to be more mindful and just bring it into the world gently and lovingly. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, the profound thought I had is, is, uh, you know, you can only give up so many bonuses. You can only give up uh, out so many awards. You can only give out so many recognitions. I mean, at a certain point you'd be dumb, numb to that. Everybody's like, well, keep on giving me bonuses. I'll take that money. But from a, from a business standpoint, it's not self-sustaining because you can't afford that. So I, we're, we're just about out of time. So we have time for just a couple more questions. And, and the thing that I want to ask you, um, as you look through this, you have so much passion around this, this topic, Susan, I, I just love that. What's the one thing that, you know, the, the people listening um, to this podcast, what do you want them to take away from our, our conversation today? Oh, gosh, one thing. I guess that we can all live a higher quality life. And as managers and leaders, we can create an environment where people can live a higher quality of life. And it's not that we don't want money. We're motivated by money, power, and status. I want people to take away that there's also other options. There's other alternatives that are going to serve you and the people around you more effectively. And, and um, I, I guess I would just like for people to just become more aware. Just be aware of why you're motivating people the way you are and why you're motivated the way you are. I, I think right now i just like for people to take aware, away an awareness and start to ask questions about you know, why am I making the choices I'm making? Um, how do I get more connected um, or feel a greater connection? And how do I learn and grow every day? Um, how do I, how can I help others experience their psychological needs? And how can I really satisfy my own? It's about quality of life, quality of life and a quality of work. Yeah. Great insights, great research. Susan Fowler, the author of Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does, The New Science of Leading, Energizing, and Engaging. Make sure you pick up one of the, a copy of one of these books. This is fantastic. Susan, if people wanted to dig a little bit deeper into you and check out more about what you're doing, um, what would be the best way to, to direct them? Oh, um, there's two ways, Chad, that I would recommend. One is I have my own website, www. And it's just my name, susanfowler.com. And there's a free motivation assessment on my website. If people want to take that, they get instant results about their own motivation. There's also lots and lots of resources, like a lot of the WebExes that we've done for the Ken Blanchard companies, articles I've written for Harvard Business Review, you know, that kind of stuff. And then if they go to the Ken Blanchard website and look at um, optimal motivation, they can get more information about um, the training that we do around this in organizations. I just got back from Egypt, Russia, China, Hong Kong. Well, Hong Kong is China, but uh, different parts of China and Korea teaching optimal motivation. Um, it's, it's catching on around the world. And at, at the Ken Blanchard Companies, we're on the cutting edge of that. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us today on the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you, Chad. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. 
And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Chad, you won't believe the timing for you asking me to respond to your interview with Susan Fowler about her book, Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does. Because just last week, I sat down with Susan on the phone and we talked about how can we write a both-end philosophy paper about her attitude towards motivation of mind. Because a lot of people think that we're completely polarized, you know, because uh, if people said they were going to take everything away from me that I've taught over the last 40 years or more, is there one concept that I would want to hold on to? And I'd say, yeah, the number one concept I would hold on to is the whole uh, second secret of the woman and manager, which is to uh, accentuate the positive and catch people doing uh, things right. And uh, what I've really learned in my interaction with Susan is that I don't really uh, create an environment and wander around and cheer people on to think I'm going to motivate them, but I want to create an environment where they really can motivate themselves. Uh, and uh, it's really important. So, you know, if you take the one-minute manager, the first goal is, you know, first uh, skill is one-minute goal setting. So you do have to be clear with your people on goals, and they got to be involved in establishing them. You don't just give them goals and all. And once that's clear, then your job changes as you start to wander around and see if you can catch them doing something right and cheer them on. And uh, the, uh, if uh, they're not performing well, to help them get back on on track. And uh, I really feel that those are very important concepts. But what Susan's convincing me is you gotta leave the ball in their court to analyze uh, you know, any observations you have or any concerns you have and all. How does it make them feel? And I'll never forget Don Sotoquist, who used to be vice chairman of of uh, Walmart way in the beginning when Sam Walton started. He picked me up at the airport one time and said, Ken, can, why don't we go to this plant? I haven't been here before. And He walked into this plant and he put his name tag down and the manager came running over and he said, uh, gee, he said, I'd love for you to get any of your managers together and let's just wander around the plant and take me on a praising tour. Show me what you think's going really well. And the manager's eyes lit up and he got all kinds of people and they were showing him on all the things that were going really well. And then at the end, he got everybody together and he said, God, I appreciate all the things that are going so well. He said, now uh, tell me about any of the concerns or issues you have that maybe we in corporate headquarters might help you on. And I was amazed at how open they were then to share issues and concerns that they had. But but they had really identified and, and been reinforced for the positive things, but they had identified uh, them and then Gary Ridge at WD-40, the president there, uh, he, uh, when he was changing their culture so he could do so many more different things, including creating a, the Don't Mark My Paper, Help Me Get an A uh, performance review system that he and I have written about, he said from now on at WD-40, there'll be no mistakes. There'll only be learning opportunities which is just changing that was just unbelievable because a lot of people try to cover up mistakes 
But when it's a learning opportunity, people would come to Gary and say, God, you won't believe how much I learned uh, last week or what we learned and all. And he said, oh, good, tell me about it, you know. And so uh, what I'm really convinced now and where brings Susan and my work together is that as leaders, we have to be environmentalists, creating a positive environment where people feel that they can do their best, that they're not going to be punished, they're going to be cheered on and all that kind of thing. And so um, I I think it's really a really powerful stuff. And thanks, Susan, for pushing uh, the envelope uh, here and uh, trying to keep the ball in the uh, learner's court so that they can constantly say, hmm, yeah, I appreciate you're noticing, uh, you know, what I feel about that is or what I'm learning about that is and all. So uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful. So I'm finding out I'm just a big environmentalist, you know, creating an environment that people really feel that they can be their best. So do that. Listen to this again. Think through my uh, comments and uh, have a ball. God bless. <laughs>